one Dave here from Casual Shooters Podcast. Uh, just a couple things real quick. Laser app. Uh, on our website, I've added a new page. If you go to sponsors, you can see links to all of our sponsors. There's a link for Laser app. You can get 15% off with our code. It's on the website, but it's a great dry fire tool. It's a shot timer and recorder. So it'll record your first shot, splits, transitions. It's even diverse enough that you can set up arrays in different rooms so that you can have to move from one to another. It'll record everything. Amazing device. Check it out. Go to our webpage, casualshooterpodcast.com. Also, Hoist. We've got our discount code on the webpage again, same page. But you get 10% off there, and we're talking IV level hydration for those of you shooting major matches this summer. Even your local matches. It will help keep you hydrated. So go check it out. And also Gun Butter. There's a link for Gun Butter. You can get 20% off with our link. Uh, it's excellent lubrication for your pistols. Put a little on your lugs. The grease on the lugs of your rifle, good to go. All right, so go to our webpage, casualshooterpodcast.com. Go to the sponsor page. Links to their website right there, and the codes are on there for you. All right? Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Sleep deprivation, which we've kind of touched on with vitamin C uh, and performance. Um, big, big topic here. All right, so I found all of this stuff fascinating just because not only does it affect me shooting, like I don't like shooting in the morning because I know that I'm, I'm going to be tired, even though I can get up, I can do it. It's not an issue. It's not my preferred. I don't feel like I'm functionally at my best with caffeine, without caffeine doesn't matter, but I found this interesting. So in your information, less than six hours, you're less productive, less motivated, more lazy and more unethical behaviors. Now, is that all just because you're tired? So you're going to cut corners, basically? Yeah, so this came from a workplace study that was cited in uh, the book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, which is a really good resource. Um, basically, yeah, if you're underslept, basically less than anything under seven hours is not great. And then under six, even worse. So we're just we don't have the mental resources at that point to, you know, act ethically or to put forth effort. So productivity goes down because our attention is waning. We try to find the easy way out. Uh, you know, the unethical behaviors just referred to, like you said, cutting corners, taking credit for other people's work, um, basically just doing whatever you have to do to get the task done, regardless of how you do it. But whenever we're, we're sleep deprived, our ability to kind of regulate ourselves goes out the window because we kind of go into this energy preservation mode where whatever we have to do to save our limited resources, we're going to do that. Okay. Now I'm going to go to the next slide because it has more of this. And then I'll ask the next part of the question. Um, slower work rate, slower. So that means you're completing tasks slower, obviously. Rash decision-making and opting towards low effort tasks. Now, in, in my situation at work, um, in any of this, have you, has there been anything about 
people who are sleep deprived shouldn't work more than X number of hours or is there any correlation? Probably yes. I don't know the specific <laughs> one, but okay. Yeah, I mean, sleep underpins everything that we do, and unfortunately, for a lot of people, that's the first thing that we give up, which is the worst thing we can give up because it affects everything that we do physically and mentally, emotionally. Mm. Okay. I, I I thought it was interesting too that people don't even perceive the fact that they're not being productive. Yeah, there's, I mean, research shows that when we hit a certain point, um, I think it's five hours or five, less than five, I think under five hours over the course of five days, we become basically cognitively drunk. So we're equivalent, mentally speaking, as if we were drunk. So if you think about it, when you're intoxicated, you don't necessarily perceive that you're intoxicated. You think that you're fine, like, give me the keys, I'm good to go. Like, you're very clearly not good to go, but we don't recognize that. So we lose that self-perception when we're sleep deprived. Okay. Wow. I, I, and I, I find this, I don't know how well our audience will find it fascinating, but I do because um, we're, we're a very busy system. Our fire system is. And, you know, somebody just made a social media post recently about how for basically tw they were up for 24 hours and then they got held over for another 12 hours. So they were doing 36 hours on basically no sleep and then had to come back to work for duty in 12 hours. So I can only imagine how this stuff would affect that guy knowing this. Yeah. And 16 hours is our cap. So anything beyond 16 hours, cognitively speaking, we were in the trash. So that's kind of our, our mental limit. <clears throat> okay. There we go. 16 hours is the cognitive cap. Wow. And that guy's doing... Well, that's, that's good that's because good. we're going to a new policy that has mandatory holdover. Yeah. So like every 20 some odd days, you could very well be held over like that guy did for 36 hours without choice. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, if you if you can nap in that time frame, naps are really helpful to reduce some of that sleep pressure. Uh, but basically, the, the goal is to get more than seven hours every 24 hours. So as long as you can hit that mark, you're doing something right. But beyond that, it's really, it's dangerous for everybody involved. Oh, I definitely okay. agree with you on that one. Cause I will have to say that, uh, I mean, Dave and I, Dave and I were yeah, actually, I'm a uh, working a full napper. I can nap anywhere. <laughs> Dave and I actually worked at a busy station one time back in the day that, I mean, I know for a fact that, uh, Dave ran what over 24 calls in a 24 hour period. And we were just, the station just gets hammered, was hammered at the time. We just, just go, go, go. And I will tell you, like when I drove home, there was many times I literally had to stop, get out, walk around the car and get back in the vehicle and then race as fast as I can to get home before I actually start falling asleep again. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's crazy, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it happened. It's happened to all of us, I would imagine. 
because I, I remember yeah. driving. We got woken up to go cover another unit, and I don't remember. I was driving. I don't remember getting there. I don't remember getting back. And in the morning, they were like, hey, man, how you feeling? I'm like, good. They're like, oh, I remember having to go to that place. And I'm like, nope. I was behind the wheel. I had zero clue that I had driven to a station like 10 miles away and then back. But yeah, that's well, and that's what I was going to ask her to define was trying to get more than seven hours in a 24 hour period or you're dangerous. Can you define dangerous? Like, what do you mean by that's dangerous? Well, I think I, I was just referring to the fact that, you know, your cognitive capabilities decrease your decision making, you know, you're more emotional with your decision making, you might again, cut corners, you're not thinking as clearly as you otherwise would. So it affects, you know, the choices that you make, which impact other people, it affects your reaction time, your accuracy, all of those different factors that come into play, they all become compromised when we're short on sleep. Yep. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I'm, I'm not a I'm not a doctor, but I totally believe and understand everything you're saying just because of what I've lived. So I totally get that. I imagine patient care at two in the morning after 20 hours of no sleep is fantastic too. Now I thought this was interesting. Um, you, you had a blurb about supervisors um, and how lack of sleep accurately predicts poor self-control actually more abuse in the workplace, I guess, towards the, their employees and actually reduces engagement with employees. That's, I mean, because I mean, our, our supervisors at whatever level, uh, at, at a certain level, it no longer affects them to the same because they're not on the same schedule or they're not up running calls through the night, whatever. But um, interesting that these things actually happen. Um, I'm trying to find something here. I thought I had written down a question. Now you had why we sleep. Are there, are you aware of any other books or um, studies that have been done with sleep deprivation and work performance? Um, well, sleep deprivation or sleep in general, uh, the sleepfoundation.org is a really great resource. Um, Walter Reed's, Walter Reed's sleep research. Um, they're part of the army, so they have got really great research that they've, they're very current with their studies, tons of free resources there. Okay. Yeah, actually, uh, back in the nineties, I actually did some work with their, um, Institute of Pathology. Mm. So when I was in the military, that was a long time ago. All right, now the big one, sleep deprivation and shooting performance, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> this is all, I love numbers. I'm, a, I'm very number driven. I love statistics, all of that type of stuff because I can really correlate things in my mind when, when I have these things. So you had some information uh, about soldiers and three days of limited sleep their ID and engagement of targets drops 220%. According to the research, yep. <laughs> wow. I'm, 
I'm, I'm at a loss to how to how to phrase the question, but the identification part, not being able to do that, is from what you gather. Is that just a target out in the open? Is that a camouflage target? Like they're just not able to detect things that you would normally detect, or or how does that? That's a good question. I'm not sure if it was I'm, if it was camouflage or if it was a, a standalone target. My guess would be more of a standalone target, only because it's a study, so they probably wanted to keep things consistent. But this was another study that was shared or conducted by Walter Reed as well. Um, they listed in their website as well if you're interested in reading further. But um, yeah, the idea obviously you can see that we're we're very very poor at actually seeing what we think we're seeing and actually you know acting on that successfully yeah how scary is that mm -hmm. yeah we're not seeing what we think we're seeing that that's a scary scary thought um errors and decisions 86 percent. now i could see where that could correlate to you know shooting competition mm -hmm. where you just make a poor decision you know you're you may have gone through and done all your stage prep but I could still see under the stress of moving through a stage as quickly as you can, shooting as rapidly as you can, you're still making an error in decision and shooting a target you're probably not supposed to shoot. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and I, I believe that's what they replicated here was, you know, shooting a friendly versus not. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. That begins to make a little bit more sense too. So like going through a shoot house, you mean? Perhaps. Yeah. I wasn't, um, I don't know if they delineated the specific locations, um, but yeah, basically is this, you know, is this a civilian? Is this an enemy? Is this a friendly, are we accurately pulling the trigger when we need to? Okay. So that could easily uh, bleed over into like law enforcement then. Oh yeah. That type of situation. Sure. All right. So Huggy, don't, don't pull your gun if you're tired. <laughs> okay. And, and I get the reaction time. I totally get that. Uh, because I also feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we're like, again, you wouldn't recognize a situation as quickly as normal where maybe you needed to react to something. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Shooting non-existent targets. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. So like our, we're in the study where they just like shooting at literally nothing. Again, I don't know that they specified, but again, my guess would be you're seeing things that aren't really there. You're not seeing what you think you're seeing type of idea. Wow. I, I feel like they're on uh, some type of psychedelic mushroom or something, you know. Look, there's a target. Bang, bang. Yeah. Wow. 164%. Mm. Man. And everything was made worse by inadequate sleep. Wow. I can only, yeah, nuts. All right. Chronotypes, which I, I found interesting as well. So you broke them down into larks and owls, with larks being your normal daytime population, owls being those people who consider themselves um, more nighttime people, if you want to call it that. I actually, I was surprised with uh, the percent. I thought... I thought the number of larks, so daytime people, would be higher. 
but it's only 80%? Um, according to, to uh, Daniel Pink, he wrote the book, When. This is where this research comes from. So I can't take credit for any of this stuff. I'm just for okay. awareness. But yeah, this is what he termed larks and owls. Um, and according to what he's found, about 80% of the population fall in that, in that first category. And they, uh, so this was, this is Leo right here. Because Leo gets up at like four o'clock every morning, whether he's at work or not. Um, but so he would be peaking early, troughing in the afternoon, and he's done by nighttime. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to, there's more information. Yeah, that's, for, that's 100% accurate. Okay. Um, more stuff when we get through these, but. So the owls are 20%. They peak much later in the day into the night. This is where I actually put me because, you know, and I never drank coffee uh, as a kid or anything. I, you know, I would drink sodas, but I didn't drink a whole lot of caffeine. Um, but I found that I just could not sleep. I went on a 25 mile bike ride in the middle of the night during the school week because I could, I would write whatever, Papers I had to write overnight and then go to school the next day. Um, so this is where I put myself here. Um, but I thought for sure the number would have been lower, but I once even had a, a paramedic say, if someone goes into cardiac arrest within 10 minutes of the station, they're not going to make it because it takes me that long to wake up. Kind of like what Leo was saying. He's not a, an overnight person. So, mm -hmm. so for those of us, other than excessive caffeine use, for those people who are larks having to work at night or owls who have to work during the day, are there, what techniques are there to be able to conform better during those times or perform better during those times? Mm -hmm. So if you're looking to, if you're working a, a normal shift, a day shift, I suppose, and let's say you're an owl, you can take steps to kind of shift your circadian rhythm to be more like that of a lark. Um, your early morning behaviors are really important for that. So bright light exposure first thing in the morning, um, at least 30 to 60 minutes is ideal. And our first exposure to light is really important for triggering our, our natural sleep cycle. So owls who naturally, you know, they kind of peak in the overnight hours, we can start to turn their dial back a little bit so that they're more alert in the morning or they can practice becoming more alert in the morning. So that way when nighttime comes, they feel more inclined to go to sleep just because their whole clock has been kind of set to that, you know, that lark schedule. Um, so those behaviors throughout the day, the timing of meals or hydration, all of our, our whole body runs off of, you know, our, our light behaviors and our eating behaviors. Um, as well as physical exercise. So if we can start to get those things in at set points throughout the day, especially in the morning time, that can help to shift our, our clock um, more to the earlier side. And then kind of vice versa, if you're having to work overnight, we want to start to you know sleep during the day as much as we can, keep things dark until later, so that way we're kind of waking up when the sun goes down. Okay. Now our... Are these people innately uh, like larks? I mean, owls. Are they? 
do they respond to light the same as those people who are owls? Um, I believe so. So larks and owls, it kind of goes way back into history. We used to sleep in shifts as tribes. So we would have one group was the day shift and then people who are on day watch, they'd be awake. The night watch would sleep and then they'd switch. So part of the being a lark or an owl is part of your genetic code. So some of us are just hardwired to be more of that owl versus the lark. And that's just due to, again, way back when we had to sleep in shifts to protect our own. So we haven't really out evolved that yet. Um, okay. So yeah, that, I mean, and that's, that's what I was thinking, but I wasn't, I'm, again, I'm not an expert, so I don't presume to know anything, but I mean, because like I said, I mean, I've been doing this, I was in the military. I've been doing this firefighting now for 19 years. I was a business owner at one time. So, and I've never been able to be a day person. It's just never something I've been able to do. So, yeah. okay. So you just basically have to work over time to try to change your circadian rhythm per se. That can help. You'll probably always have that urge to, you know, stay more groggy in the morning versus at night. But we can take steps, kind of behaviorally speaking, to help alleviate some of the discomfort in the earlier hours. Okay. I mean, as oddly as it sounds, I mean, I can be without sleep for 19, 20 hours, lay down, still be nighttime, wake up for a call, and I'm still more alert than people who have been sleeping for four or five hours. You know what I mean? And I can uh, tell them later, I'm like, what was your issue? Why were you so slow? <laughs> Why was this? Why was that? So I've just, yeah, it's a, uh, it's hard to overcome. Mm -hmm. um, I forget which this one was for. Where are we at here? I feel like. Oh, I guess this is just talking about our peak times throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So when you, in your information, when you broke down the daytime, you, you would want your peak time is when you can, can combat distractions and complete tasks. So I guess that again, just depends on whether you're a, a lark. So I guess this is early morning hours or an owl, this would be what, early evening maybe? Yeah. So if you're a lark, you typically will peak, meaning, you know, you're most mentally alert, usually between about 9 to 11 a.m., somewhere in that window. So knowing that you're going to be most mentally sharp in that time frame, try to schedule your heavy duty tasks that require a lot of cognitive effort. So critical thinking, anything that requires some degree of analysis, it's really good to schedule those tasks during that peak window. And then after that peak, because we've been doing lots of hard work, our brain kind of gets bogged with a bunch of metabolic waste from all the thinking, and that results in that trough. So we've got this mental trough as well as this physical trough that tends to hit in the early afternoon hours, usually around 1 to 2 p.m. That's normal. That's a natural you know, dip. Going back again to previous sleep patterns, we used to sleep in two phases throughout the day. We kind of trained ourselves through you know, the industrial revolution to sleep all in one bout overnight. So that natural dip after lunch is a normal dip that we all experience. But for people who are larks, that's also 
you know, our worst cognitive window as well. So any, if you still have to keep working there, um, try to do administrative tasks. So simple email follow-up, any like really easy mentally, you know, absent tasks that you can knock out there. Also a great time to take a nap if, if possible. So anything about less than 30 minutes-ish is good um, just to prevent yourself from waking up in, those in between sleep stages where you, <clears throat> you can feel a little bit groggy. Uh, but naps are good for that window. And then usually as a as the evening wears on, that's where that recovery window, and I think that's your next point too, um, that's where that recovery opportunity starts to come up. So that's where um, we're more kind of mentally loose. So it's a good opportunity for more creative tasks. We're not, you know, we're a little bit more distractible, so we're not quite as vigilant, uh, but we're usually in a better mood and that is conducive to more creative thinking. And I found that, interesting because it says enhanced mood and one of my very crude and i don't mean crude as in rude but rudimentary questions was define mood like enhanced mood what does that mean um i think it just means like how you're feeling at the moment so maybe you feel you know happy you might feel um amused you might feel um sociable anything that's not like bringing you down i would say but you just feel, you know, quote unquote, good, whatever that means for you. So and, not and in the past anymore. <laughs> gotcha. And I asked that because um, I would have guessed that recovery would be not doing this other stuff like brainstorming or insightful work. I feel like you're, you've peaked, you've gone through the trough. Now you're even another step down like that, in between trough and bedtime. What, Leo? Mm -hmm. So it's like this, uh, this is legitimately me to a T. And I say that because this is actually like at that point, this is where I'm at home. And I'm usually asking my wife like, hey, these are some things that, that I dealt with today. Like, and these are some ideas that I now have to, to like go into work tomorrow and like, execute a different either be a, an idea or a plan or, or whatever like this is usually where i'm getting feedback from my far superior intelligence wife to be like hey like i need some some assistance in figuring out how i'm going to handle xyz situation and so it's just really funny because like i guess that's the best like correlation for brainstorming and I'm not doing it in clarity and the kids are in the bathtub to having a shower. So like, like let's, let's help me function tomorrow today. So it like, it's just really fun because this, this is literally like going through a, a, my normal day of I get to work, I get two hours of work done and like I'm rocking on all cylinders. People start showing up. I get all other stuff distracted and by lunchtime, I'm like, I need a nap, but I'm not allowed to. How do I make tomorrow better? So it's just really, it's fun because this is like legit my life. Well, there we go. Now we've proven that the peak trough recovery is correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because to me, recovery is. I knew I was I, I'm not. Was weird. I'm, I'm just watching a movie that I enjoy or a series on TV or, you know, having a glass of mango habanero bourbon. I don't know, hmm. but it's putting my mind to sleep 
versus mm-hmm. constantly engaging. Yeah, I can see that. And it might just be the word choice that he went with. Um, so maybe think of it more like a second wind to an extent. It's like you're, you've rebounded from the trough and now you've got a little bit of a, an energy bump. Not enough to match your peak, but it's more than what you were just in with your trough. Okay. And I did like your plan accordingly, like you touched on earlier, you know, when do you plan to do creative stuff? When do you plan on being analytical? Um, things like that. Um, like determining what is your chronotype? Are you a lark or an owl? What time of day does that mean? What kind of task would fit best? Um, very, very interesting. Um, I, how would you, quoting Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Um, (laughs) These people, how would you, if they need to do something during a time where maybe they're not at peak, how would you coach someone to maintain that focus to be able to complete tasks that they normally wouldn't do during that time? Hmm. So kind of like macro skill, ideally your day-to-day behaviors are, giving you enough bandwidth to compensate for those shifts. So getting enough sleep, eating well, staying hydrated. I'm assuming those are in place. Those surprises might be more easy to handle. Uh, But if you are in a true pinch, you can use, let's say you're in a trough and you need to do a task. That's where you can supplement with caffeine. That's where, you know, using it strategically can work to your benefits that you can get that energy or that alertness boost when you need it. Um, if you need, um, again, energy boost, if you do like a quick workout or go see the sun, um, staying hydrated, those just those consistent behaviors that you can do on the spot as needed, as well as kind of throughout the day, day in and day out, that can help to set you up for those surprises. Okay. So if you do work in more of an office setting, getting out and actually being in the sun would help. Absolutely. That's a really great countermeasure for fatigue is, you know, when you feel that that nap's coming on and you don't have an opportunity to take a nap, go for a walk, be outside, get away from your desk, do something different, disengage mentally from whatever you've been working on for the past, however long you've been working on it, and then come back in. Um, There's been some research, I think it's shown as little as like six minutes of walking in nature can boost creativity later in the day, upwards of, you know, 40, 50%. So it's it's not a lot, but the benefits are certainly there. Just giving your break or your brain a chance to take a break. It's the returns are, are well worth it. And the time investment isn't very much. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, the the what you get in return ratio wise mm-hmm. for six minutes walking, 40 or 50 percent increase in production, that's that's pretty significant. Absolutely. And we, you know, we talk about circadian rhythm, like your, your, your day-to-day rhythm, but also we've got these, they're called ultradian rhythms. And I, I think I had a post on those too, which is just your 90 minute energy cycles. So we, we follow these patterns throughout the day where we've got this peak level of energy up until about 90 minutes. And then after that 90 minute mark, we start to crash. But a lot of us don't take the break at that 90 minute mark. We keep working hour after hour after hour. And we experience more and more fatigue and we get diminishing returns on our performance. So 
back to your previous question about what can we do to kind of account for those times where we might not be at our peak window is am I taking breaks regularly throughout the day? Because that's going to help to stave off that cumulative stress that's building up if we weren't taking the breaks otherwise. Very interesting. What And what was that 90 minute cycle called? It's called an ultradian rhythm. Ultradian rhythm. Because I mean, that, that correlates exactly to um, teaching, you know, mm -hmm. making sure that students in whatever setting are taking a break every 60 to 90 minutes. So right. I assume then that that a six to 10 minute break, making people get up and walk around mm -hmm. would do the exact same thing we were just talking about then. Exactly right. Yep. Okay. Was there anything in, like you were saying, the ultradian rhythm is 90 minutes. Is there any amount of time you have to be doing something different, like disengaging to do something different to reset that 90 minutes? Like, is it five, 10, 15? Um, research has shown anywhere between seven to 20 minutes, depending on you know the person. But usually if you can get 20 minutes, that's ideal. Okay. So instead of a 10 minute break every hour, just do like a 20 minute break every hour and a half. You could do that. Yeah. Something's better than nothing. I'll say it that way. So if you need a break, okay. or you feel like your body's telling you to take a break, take a break. A lot of us don't listen to those signals. So we keep digging ourselves into that trough. And I, and I do think that I remember seeing something on your uh, Instagram about a 90 minute energy thing but you again you have so much information on your instagram it was like uh, i don't even know what to cover what not to cover just because there's so much information yeah all right you had um on your instagram mood versus motivation it wasn't like that um specifically but you did have some points that I thought was very interesting. You had mood follows action, which I thought was very, very intriguing. You said we control our behaviors and our behaviors influence, influence everything else. Um, you said if, if you wait, and I'll paraphrase this because you had it, I think, better, which was... Um, if we wait for motivation to occur to do something, then that occurrence will never happen. Well, there it is right there. If we take action, motivation is likely to show up. Can you, I, I thought that was interesting, especially like working out. Like I'm not in the mood to go to the gym. I'm not motivated. But basically here you're saying if you go to the gym, then the motivation will show up. Am I correct? Yeah, and it maybe not for certain, but it, you at least give yourself the opportunity for that motivation to arise. So a lot of us fall into this trap where we feel like or we think we have to feel motivated before we can do anything. So we're just waiting an undetermined amount of time for that motivation to magically appear. And in the meantime, we're wasting all of these opportunities and all of this time where if we're just willing to kind of be uncomfortable for a moment, do something, even though we don't feel like doing it. A lot of times on the other side of that, we realize that 
motivation is the byproduct or the result of action as opposed to the precursor of it. Okay. Interesting. Um, now I did have a question as it pertains to like anxiety. Um, because I thought there was something that we don't control our feelings. I thought there was something about in, in your Instagram, we don't control our feelings. Um, but I feel like that's all that an anxiety, like I deal with these all the time. And they're typically, for the most part, a psychosomatic reaction to something. Um, and we try to talk these people down. So, but I feel like everybody would suffer from those if they couldn't control their feelings. For example, um, I, I when, when I was a kid, I had a fear of heights. Well, when I got to one boot camp, we had to rappel off of a tower. And I was like, okay, I don't have a choice. I'm doing this. No issue. But I saw other people who panicked. Like when um, Chris and I were in recruit school, we had to do some rappelling also off of the simulated roof of a house. And I saw this guy get so caught up with anxiety, he let go of his rappel rope and tried to grab the shingles of the roof. roof. And he just slid off the top and off of the wall. Now, the good thing was Chris was actually holding the rope at the other end. So the guy <laughs> didn't go splat. But what I guess what I'm asking is what what do you mean by we can't or we don't control our feelings? Yeah, good question. And it's kind of in the weeds to an extent. So when okay. I say we don't control our feelings, I mean that control implies restraint. So if I control my feelings, it means that I can prevent them from coming up because I control them. And I argue that we don't control our feelings in that way. I don't control what comes up. I cannot prevent okay. myself from feeling something. However, I can regulate that emotion or feeling. I can respond to it through my behaviors when it does arise. But to believe that I can prevent myself from ever feeling <clears throat> an unwanted emotion, that's crazy because we wouldn't experience those if we could. And then, of course, we, we feel things that we wish we didn't. So control means restraint. I can prevent this thing from happening. I tend more towards regulate. I can regulate or manage this thing once it does arise. And that's kind of where we can either make it or break it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. That I get. Yeah. All right. What a day that day was. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> That was nuts. I mean, my eyes got as big as saucers. I had never seen anything yeah. like that in my life. Yeah, I, it, it was like, uh, I can honestly say everybody's eyes were that big because we were all like looking at this dude and we're like, did he just do what I think he just did? I mean, he was basically free falling off a yeah. third floor building, Yeah, you know, on a rope. Uh, it was nuts. It was. Anyway. <laughs> now there was one other thing I meant to add, and and I did not. To I'm this, gonna change my was, suit. <laughs> um, you even had it was very interesting. You had a chart, a diagram. Um, let me on your. I'm gonna 
remove that. There we go. About how to prioritize tasks. Hmm. And it was a four square where, you know, is it important, not important, that type of thing. Um, I wish I could remember exactly what it was. Yeah, it's called the Eisenhower matrix. That's what it was. Can you, can you, all right, I'm going to see if I can find that real quick on your Instagram, but can you talk about that for a moment? Sure. So the Eisenhower matrix is a good tool to use for task prioritization. And it's a four by four matrix with urgency and importance on kind of the X and Y axes. So if the task is or is not urgent and if it is or is not important, so, for example, if something is urgent and is important, that's usually a task that you should do right now and do it yourself. So it's those really critical tasks that require your hands on. Um, if a task is urgent, but it's not important, those are usually tasks that you can delegate to other people. So it's it's time sensitive. It needs to happen. There you go needs to happen, but it doesn't necessarily need your hand in it. So delegate those tasks to a subordinate or somebody else that you trust. And that way you can focus on more important or urgent tasks that do need your attention. Um, for important but not urgent, that usually means it's things that are maybe important to you personally, but not urgent right now. So maybe some, um, you know, personal tasks, taking vacation, planning, you know, personal, whatever you've got on your calendar usually those are good tasks to delay. So just set a time for the future where you can get back to that. But right now you probably should focus your attention on something more urgent. And then if something is neither important nor urgent, it's usually a good indication that you should just drop that task altogether. I, I also feel like the reason why I wanted to bring this up, I feel like this goes hand in hand with peak troughing and recovery. I feel like the, the do it, would be your peak. Mm. Is it, would you, is that a good time to schedule that? Or is this more like, oh, this just came up and I've got to take care of it now? Yeah, probably a little bit of both. So if it does fall in your, in your kind of golden hour, or that peak window that this urgent and important task hits, absolutely do it. If you can schedule these urgent and important tasks, definitely schedule them in that window. Okay. Yeah, I feel like the delegated could fall into that trough time where it's like, meh, I'll push it off until that time and then I'll do it then type of a mm -hmm. thing. Okay. Sure. And I feel like the delay, like you're saying, talking about vacation or whatever, could be like that. Oh, creative time. Yeah, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's very interesting, though. Uh, this whole matrix, I saw that I was like, wow, that's, that's very interesting where you can a very quick and simple way of prioritizing <laughs> tasks. <laughs> I just made a new word. I think we're troughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've hit our 90 minute mark. Haven't we? <laughs> oh goodness. Our, our, our tradian rhythm is, is troughed. So, all right. Well, is there um, anything that you feel needs further explanation or uh, that we didn't talk about that you feel was critical to any of these points we did talk about? Oh, wow, we touched on a lot. I think I tell most people, if you can work on one thing, sleep. 
again, that touches everything that we do. So prioritize that as much as you can. Don't put that on the back burner. That should be an urgent and important task for whatever you're doing, because that's going to impact everything else that you do. And a lot of times it'll make the work that we do a lot easier and of higher quality. So prioritizing your sleep is an absolute must. And you said naps less than 30 minutes. Was that right? Um, again, generally speaking, less than 30 or more than 90. Um, so one of our sleep cycles is about 90 minutes. If we wake up in the middle of that range, we tend to wake up in our deep sleep, which is where we feel groggy and kind of worse than when we started. So anything like 10 to 15, 20 minute nap is ideal just to give yourself a little bit of an energy burst that will reduce some of that sleep pressure that's building up throughout the day. And then if you have the time for a 90 minute nap, that's a great opportunity to get a full cycle of sleep in. So whatever you're here. And here all the time I was getting upset with my daughter because she's always sleeping. Like she's like, I'm so tired. I'm going to take a nap. Now I'm like, I feel bad. I'm, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm liking the, the more than 90. You should. You're a bad person. She's elite level athlete. Yeah. <laughs> you're ashamed of yourself. Yeah, and, it, and it's and it's funny because uh, my daughter is uh, a volleyball player and she's in high school. And she plays travel ball and everything like this. So it's she's she's good at her sport, uh, but it's uh, which, by the way, Dave, you don't mind. If she I could be better if you let her sleep more. No, go for it. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. You're right. And I'm going to let her sleep more because I know it's like, going to yep. come up right now. Half the problem yes. is you don't let her nap. <laughs> yes. So so, Doc, thanks. My daughter's like going, see, I told you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, um, here, here, um, a segue into dealing with my daughter. Cause she's a, she's an athlete. She's in high school and everything of that nature. And, uh, it's, it's great. I love it. But however, I see that this different motivational drive, you know, like when I was coming along, um, it was more or less, if I wanted to be the best, I worked twice as hard. I, you know, I, I was told that, Hey, look, you, when you go out there, that person is working just as hard as you, or if not harder. So you got to, how to put it, how to outwork them. You had to outtrain them and everything. Um, and I see today, I, if I, if I say this to kids or my daughter and everything like that, it's like, oh, you're that parent, you know? And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, you're so hard on your kid, you know? How do I take that, you know, what I used to do into today's motivational? What what can, you know, and being that you were an, an athlete yourself, how do I segue that into today's generation, I guess? Mm. Yeah, so when it, I mean, motivation is tricky because everybody's driven by different things, obviously. But one thing that I've found at least helpful to think about or like a seed to plant is mm -hmm. just ask them what do they value about either the sport or just about you know life in general meaning if you value playing volleyball okay what about volleyball do you value playing well i like the social aspect or i like the physical mm -hmm. activity or i like you know showing progress or improving or learning new things anytime we can identify something that we value we can then start to attach behaviors to that value. So you can say, okay, you value um, pushing yourself hard at practice. What I've seen lately is this, maybe not pushing yourself so hard. 
So it opens up this dialogue where you say you value this thing. I'm seeing this thing from your actions. How do you reconcile the difference? And the idea there is that if we can say we value something and our behaviors are there, then yeah, there's support that we do value that thing and that we say that we do. But if the behaviors are inconsistent, it opens up a challenge point to say, you either don't value this as much as you say you do, or something needs to change behaviorally so that you are upholding this value. So it's it's not about me imposing what I think you should do. It's about what have you identified that's important to you about this sport or this task or whatever you're doing? What are the behaviors that you would say demonstrate your commitment or your value to that? And then what have you been doing lately to support that, to prove that basically? What's the evidence that you can back that up with? And if it's, the evidence is lacking, then something's got to change. Again, either you don't value it like you say you do or... You need to, you know, light a fire under your rear. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. That, that's that's good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try that. Uh, He's like, oh crap! How do I do do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, your your Altradian rhythm fire has troughed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, and then now I'll have another question completely. Uh, letting go of what we just discussed, but um, I was in a situation where uh, in the competition where it was a hot, humid day and I tried to drink a lot of water the day before and then um, went and competed, tried to drink water throughout the day. Is there a, well, how do I say this? Is there an, a, a time where you would say like, uh, two days, three days before, hydrate, you know, before competition and then just maintain during the competition. The point being is that during that time, I exhausted so much water that I was like cramping, you know, significantly. And even though I was drinking the Gatorade and, and everything, it was just so hot and so humid. Do, do you, during your studies, have you found anything where you could say um, hydration should start X amount of days before and then maintain throughout. Yeah. Again, not a performance dietitian, so that would be a better okay. question for them. Okay. But okay. I would say, you know, at least a week, if not a couple weeks out, just start hydrating ahead of time so that your body gets used to that. Ideally, you want to be hydrating, you know, on your day to day, regardless of whether you're right. competing. So a day before probably isn't going to be enough. So I would say mm -hmm. maybe at least a week prior, if not more start drinking more than you normally would. And then hopefully you'll be able to sustain that performance or you won't notice a sharp of a drop. Also making right. sure that, again, you're getting electrolytes and sodium and you know, you're eating too. So lots of factors to consider. But right. again, I don't think eating is the <laughs> <laughs> you hear me, Huggy? I said, I don't think eating is the problem. Oh, no, 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 no. For no, any of us. Yeah, no. <laughs> eating is definitely not the problem. Trust me. <laughs> Uh, look at this. This is just nothing but, you know, this is superior physique right here. <laughs> so, um, also, well, you had touched upon it. And it's just actually, un or underdeveloped muscle. That's all that is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Used to be superior, but now it's gone. Anyway, um, the uh, we talk, talked about breathing earlier. And... Um, I was wondering with like, you know, during competition, I know 
at one point in time, I've seen athletes, I've even tried to take some type of tape or something like that to open up the nasal passages to try to uh, breathe easier through my nose. Do you recommend that or do you recommend like, you know, maybe doing um, uh, what they call like the like the neti pot or something to clear everything out so that you can breathe better? What, what is your, your recommendation? Yeah, so nasal di- or the nasal strips are are helpful for that purpose. There's also a product called a nasal di- sorry, my dog's coughing over here. Nasal <laughs> dilator, which just sits right inside the nose and it props open your nose for you. Okay. Um, also, if you just pull gently to the side, you take a breath in and then compare it, you'll notice mm-hmm. that it's much easier to breathe. So even just manually, if you can afford that. Okay. As well as those um, those breath holds that I mentioned earlier, those will open okay. up your nasal passageways pretty well. Awesome, awesome. So that's that's my questions that I've had. So now, now yeah, I don't know well, if Chris the finger thing's not gonna work with him. He's got big old meat hooks. <laughs> Just to the side, you can <laughs> not not, not, not inside outside. He's like ah. <laughs> Inside is an obstruction. <laughs> Your dog gonna be okay? Yeah, I don't know what's going on over there. Uh-oh. I saw him actually come in. He's a very good yeah. looking dog. Just, just do this to your dog. Games, You'll so. be fine. <laughs> <laughs> now, Chris, we also talked about um, you uh, pre-workout. Yes. What are your? Uh, what about pre-workout and performance, Doc? Have you seen anything about that? Like the drinks like the powders you can put in a drink and take have you seen anything where that's actually beneficial um i think it's more relevant to physical performance which i'm not going to speak to but i think you know obviously it has caffeine in it so it's going to give you the benefits of caffeine but um, i can't speak specifically to how it's going to affect you physically i'm sure attention is going to be increased as well just due to the caffeine effects but i haven't seen anything specific gotcha yeah and it and everything I looked at was, I mean, it seems like caffeine is the only ingredient that isn't every single one of them. Everything else is different, mm-hmm. but they all have caffeine. So, yeah. okay. okay. Leo, you got anything? I mean, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I took a lot of notes because I don't know if you can tell, yeah, but too. I actually took, I don't, I don't have good handwriting, but I took a lot of notes. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> But I just really so want to doc- see Huggy just like doing that. <laughs> I do have a question. I do have a question and yeah. just I wrote a note down on and I forgot to ask. Uh, music. Do you find music also um, being either classical or something soft, more soothing no. to <laughs> I'm sorry, so- soothing to kind of relax? Uh, an athlete before they perform or something of that nature versus being high on something or amped up and be like, listen to something that's just going to drive them hard. You know, I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, that's a good question. And that kind of gets into our optimal energy levels. So everybody's Mm -hmm. again, it's going to be different. So some people need to be on that lower energy end. So that classical music might be helpful for them where they maybe they're at their best at like a four out of 10 or a three out of 10. Mm-hmm. Whereas other folks might need to be at like that eight, nine range where they have to have that, you know, headbanging music ahead of time. It's completely mm-hmm. dependent on the person. Um, just pay attention to, you know, if you listen to this, to this music, 
what does your outcome look like or what does your performance look like? And if you find that it's good for you, then keep that going. If you find that you're too over energized, then maybe you want to scale back. But you're trying to kind of find that sweet spot of where you fall right. in that energy zone. I am actually in the process. I am going to buy spinal tap, crank it to 11. Yeah, yeah. That's not music. That's just noise. Um, but Bluetooth ear plugs where at the beginning of a stage, as soon as I hear the beep, it starts playing the who as loud as I can, because that gets me amped up. I want to actually see if there's any improvement in my speed, like getting me to do things quicker. Yeah. I'll write a paper and let you know what the results are. I think they're going to be extremely awesome. Sounds good. So. Look forward to it. <laughs> and those people who have to listen or to Or so music. bad that it's embarrassing. Yeah, I think it's going to go one I'm of two okay ways. Either too. he's going to be the next Max Michelle or he's going to be shooting like I do. So I guess we'll see. So, Doc, how can people – what's the best way for people to, to get in contact with you? Yeah, so as you've so kindly demonstrated, I have an Instagram account um, at Dr. MC Sullivan. Same email handle at, at gmail.com. You can feel free to shoot me an email or send me a message on Instagram. Either of those works just great. Okay. All right. Well, I thank you very much for coming on the uh, podcast. There's a lot of information, and you've got a lot more information on your Instagram page. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.